0: Welcome to Life of the School, episode 71. Hello my name is Aaron Matthew and I'm a biology teacher at Acton boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Normally on life of the school, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they got in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. But this episode is the third of my three question series episodes. And in this episode, I asked a group of teachers, what is the value of tests? in their practice. And this seems especially important as many of us just received our students' AP scores um, or other standardized scores. I know that IB scores also came out. So I think as we're sitting here and we're pondering and reflecting on our practice and we're seeing these tests Scores come in from these large standardized tests, it's a good time to sit back and think, well, what's the value of a test? And so I have the perspectives of seven teachers who are going to share what the value of tests are in their classroom. First up, we are going to talk to Antonio Gamboa. Antonio teaches at Gary High School in Pomona, California. The topic of tests seems to come up all the time. It seems like, you know, we could use the the newfangled term and we call it assessment if we want, but I'm not going to call it assessment. I'm going to call it tests. So what's the role of tests in learning for your students?
1: Uh, it, it depends. I mean, it's like, I think that there are, to me, I see it as there are two different tests that I can run. One where I'm just uh, doing a formative assessment where I'm trying to figure out what are you understanding, how you're planning to do certain things, or how are you presenting your information. So I'm assessing the the individual exam- primarily. It's, it's I have to, to me, it's the most important thing. Is the assessment has to go to the individual rather than the group. Is it asking myself, is my whole group learning transcription is not the same thing that saying can this individual student, even there are 30 in the class, can I find out if each one of them Knows how to do transcription and understand it, and and furthermore, I need to find out if they have questions. So, I think that the formative assessment is, is pretty important. Now, the the summative assessment that still is in place, I think that it may miss the point, making the assumption that they all can, they're all able, or they should all. However, the ass- assumption is made that all students will get to the point that I set as a bar, rather than saying, why don't I find mm-hmm. out how and what do I need to do to get every student to that bar? And if they're not going to get to that bar, well, what is the minimum amount of learning that I'm going to consider enough for them to perform well in the class, or what else do I need to do? So so when you have a English learners, when you have the average C student, and when you have the the top achiever in the same classroom for the same class throwing out a test almost in some way mm-hmm. a waste of time. You know the English learner might be challenged with with the language and he might not get it not because he he's not smart enough or he just doesn't have the 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 tools and resources. Same thing with the C student uh, the issue might be the skills the skills differences within the students. So you throw out the same test. If I throw out the same test and I have an English learner and I have the C average student versus the top achiever, well, I already could almost, before I even give the test, know which one is going to perform less than the other. It's not the that is that it's reversed. So in that sense, if I'm going to use a formative assessment, it's more like a justification for me to say, oh, I, I, I gave them uh, in some way uh, an equal opportunity. Well, they, they're not going to perform the same way. So I think it's, to me, it's a, it's a formative assessment that is individualized assessment. I need to know each student's challenges, and I need to know each student's knowledge, and from there go on. So to me, assessment is a tool to, that helps me direct my uh, approach to assist the students in the learning.
0: Yeah, so when you get those summative assessments and you 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 throw them out, and I I completely agree with you, like that you have a sense of, you know, you've done these formatives, you've you've done these check ins, you know, you you have data about how students are progressing, and some are nailing it, and some are struggling, and you now give them a, a more challenging, more comprehensive, you know, test on a a group of learning objectives that you've been working on because you've decided that that's sort of where you're gonna go. When a student doesn't perform well on that, like what what recourse do you have? How how do you, I mean, I, I personally don't feel like I have a really good situation with that. I feel like we end up moving on and I'm dissatisfied and I try to help them build their skills. But what do you do for your students who you feel like their summative assessment has provided you formative feedback that says you need to help them do some more stuff?
1: Well, to me it's is divided into Let's say they pick up a topic, a unit, and within that unit, I have Mm -hmm. determined what will consist of an A. For you to demonstrate that you're an A student, you should be able to demonstrate certain knowledge. So I have predetermined objectives that I want them to meet. Uh, Same thing with the B or the C student or the D student. So when I see that a student is not reaching the, the real high goals that I want, I need to find out what is the issue? It might be vocabulary. It might be comment shows, It might be something else. So I have to give them opportunities where, based on my assessment, I'm going to say, well, I think that what you need to do is this. So it's an alternative approach. It's the differentiated learning. It might be reading. It might be a project. It might be something else that this particular student is going to do to demonstrate the minimum, uh, the minimum learning objectives that I had set for them. So there's there's a there's a to me there's a difference. So so yes you might learn uh transcription, translation, and then you go and learn about proteins and you learn uh, specifics applied to different conditions and uh, disease and you can go into cancer and everything. And perhaps what I need to do is wait a minute, what what are what are the minimum objectives that this student needs to have in order for me to to move him forward. So I support him to get that. So maybe I removed the lab and I said, you sit down, I need you to do this and you need to. So I differentiated their work.
0: Do you go back and like adjust grades at that point for a student? Um, if they if they then produce some work that was on a summative assessment, now they produce the work afterwards that show you, all right, they've moved and made some progress on this group of learning objectives. Do you go back and uh, adjust their their grade either on the assessment or for the quarter as a result of that?
1: As a result, uh, I have to have a, a grading system that reflects my practice completely. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that I'm going to go back and change that grade but I have to evaluate their performance. Let's say if the students are doing a lab and they did the lab, because that's what I asked them. But I asked the student to sit down, read, give me the words, and give me all the assignments and everything, he's going to get the perhaps the equivalent value for that lab at the same time that he was doing it. So yet he mm-hmm. flunked the test, he flung the assessment. But since he didn't he did really well on the lab per se, then He will compensate. So my grading has to be realistic in the sense that, okay, we're doing a lab, but you're not doing the lab. I'm not going to hold you responsible for that lab because I'm asking you not to do it. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, I have to compensate you for doing it. So, okay, so you both are sitting on the same days, doing different things, differentiated work. So when you do that, it seems like uh, your calculation on your grading will compensate for that. So I'm not going to go change the fact that you flung the test. You flung the test. You flung the test. Okay, fine. Let's solve your learning. Mm. So
0: they're going to have a – your grade book sounds like it's a mess. Um. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I'll tell you, it is. But you know what we did? And this our whole department has done this, and we changed our grading system. We changed mm. it from zero to four. You have zero, one, two, three, four. Zero means you really didn't meet the at least complete the work or, or, or the minimum. So then you got one, two, three, four. If you want to redo the assignment, you can do redo the assignment. So you get a one, you can move one to two, to three, to four. So that's one way. But what that allows the, the zero to four, the grid is distributed very equally. So losing one assignment at a four or losing it at a two. That means I can win those two on another assignment. Mm. And so by changing this, our whole department has decreased the D's and F's in about 10 to 15% over the past three years. Oh. And it's not it's not in the we're not diluting the information because our A's and B's haven't grown that much either. So what we did is that we built it up in a way that If you're the struggling student who is putting the work and doing everything, but you should at least be able to pass the class. And so that's how it's working for us. Uh, Otherwise, if you do it by points, it's a mess. It's a disaster. Because they've lost the points from the test, then they cannot recover. And even if, and this is what the issue we have with math that if you lose all the points at the beginning, and the student all of a sudden, half semester, is doing fantastic because He's got it. He understands it now. He a's the final, he still gets a C when he's one of the best one at the end. It doesn't compensate for their actual learning. It just compensates for points. So the teacher is looking at points, 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 points. Our approach is I am learning to look at the individual learning. The learning is a student. Did you learn or you didn't?
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it sounds very, you know, we've talked about both standards-based grades and approaching to standards, but, um, and the, another sort of buzzword I've heard the last few years is like restorative practice. Uh, this sounds very restorative, like students don't feel like I failed this test, I am a failure, I label myself that way, I have the ability to go back and, and grow and learn because of this.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the idea. And so that's what we have yeah. seen. I mean, we've seen a change in, in our department. Um, we have, you know, the state requires two years of science, recommended is three or four. We have up to about 75% of our juniors taking science. And then about a, mm-hmm. about all 50% or larger of our seniors take science still. So it has this, we think it's, it's, it's developed this sense of, I might not be the best, but I still can learn some science. I still can enjoy it and I can move on. And so they know, we know they feel challenged and, and we know they're not AB students, but, but they have the ability to, like you're saying, restorative. So if I'm, if I'm not doing well, what do I need to do? Tell me how do, how do I write a better essay, for example, or how do I approach better labs? And so it takes them step by step. And that's that's has been our approach uh, for the past two two and a half years almost.
0: All right. So I ask a question about tests, and you turn it, flip it. We talk about grading. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds, it's uh it sounds like the tests aren't the tests are are still there, but they're not they're not the end all be all like. You know they're they're not the most important thing. They're they're just another form of feedback at this point and help you identify what ideas the students need to to focus on if they want to you know learn. It's it's just an extra data point for them in their learning.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's an informative step. The test gives some gives us information about what is going on, but it doesn't make the whole picture, especially on their NGSS, because you have. Uh, You have the uh, engineering practices, you have the cross-cutting concepts, and so you have to count into your grading that part. And so the test cannot just be uh, a simple thing that sit down, take 60 questions, you fail, I'm sorry, move on.
0: Next, I spoke with Brittany Franskoviak from Wild Lake High School in Columbia, Maryland. What is the value of tests? And, you know, why why should we test? What's the value of tests in the the science classroom?
3: I genuinely think that tests are a good opportunity for learning. Mm -hmm. I am not sure that I am always successful in framing them that way, either through my, like, classroom structures or through how I talk with students about them. Um, in my AP classroom, I think I've gotten pretty close to what I would consider some sort of testing ideal, which is not to say that it's perfect, but that <laughs> in, in how I test, I, I feel like there's a, a good sense of um, philosophical like consistency, right? So I use only the released um, AP test questions mm-hmm. And that's part of why I like my testing in AP Bio is because I think those test questions are really great. Um, I think that they are not asking students to simply memorize stuff. I think that the students have to really reason through some novel applications of things that they've seen in other contexts. And that's a useful skill. Um, I think if we are teaching science, um, you know, part of the work of science is applying known patterns to unknown or novel problems or observations. And so these test questions get at that. Of course, we wouldn't have to do that in a test setting. Um yeah. but what's nice about the test setting is that students take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't think that that's trivial necessarily. And I think it'd be great if we were in some ideal setting where like it didn't have to be a test for kids to take it seriously. And certainly some of my students take all of the things very seriously, um, but some of my students, if it's not a test, you know, and and I don't blame them for this, and this isn't meant to be judgmental on the, the young people that I teach. Um, you said earlier something about like an economy, right? They have this really economical mindset where if it's like a low stakes classwork or homework or, you know, even a lab or something like that, you know, they're going to be more likely maybe to lean on a teammate, um, to not necessarily feel pressured to... Um, pay a ton of attention to detail, um, maybe not put forth like a 100% like honest working through of a problem. Um, but, I, but they will do that if we call it a test. Um, but coupled with that, I think, is the um, they're allowing them to learn from their mistakes and do some revisions. And so that lowers the stakes of the testing a little bit where like they have to take it seriously because they are getting assessed like it is a grade, it's an assessment, and that's a thing that they value. Um, but there's a safety net if it was, you know, if it went really badly, um, they can loop back and sort of learn why they, why they got some things wrong or unpack their mistakes. Um, and so that all feels really valuable to me. Um, I struggle a little bit more with my younger students in my intro bio. Um, in that class for me, the tests are really about accountability. Um, Mm. Because a lot of what we do in class are like team things and, you know, they don't have a ton of homework for me. Um, They get individual summative grades on like their lab work. But, you know, really the the data that I get from them as far as like, how are you individually understanding this content is from their tests. I like to think that we write reasonably good tests. Some of it is straightforward memorization, though, like, you know, if we spent two weeks on something, I need I need to know that you like, can recognize that, Um, and, you know, it's a struggle. We just got out of midterms, and my low score on the midterm was a 25%, and the high Mm. scores were over 100, Um, (laughs) and so I'm really struggling with what that tells me as a teacher, what that tells me about my students, um, what that tells me about who is being successful and why, Um, and I don't have the answers to any of that
0: yeah, I, I I like the the framing of the way you talked about the differenti- differentiation between the two groups, because I, I, I'm nodding along with you because I feel very much the same. I feel like in my younger students, there's very much a case where if I was to ask them questions that were all tilted towards that application level that we do at the AP, it would be unfair. Um, (laughs) while some students would, would do really well at that. The truth is, is that intellectually that's, that's really hard. And I think that they would, I think that I would have fewer students who would find success or it would take a lot longer for students to reach success and their fragility (laughs) of ability to struggle, which I mentioned earlier, uh, would, would undermine a lot of the work that we were trying to do.
3: Yeah. I, i don't i don't love how i test uh with my younger students and we've tried a bunch of different stuff and i'm just not sure i don't know that not testing them ever is the answer necessarily although i'm sure that there are lots of really talented educators um who have lots of good reasons for why that might be the solution Mm -hmm. um you know but i'm not sure that's it and i i don't even love the word accountability because I feel like it has some negative sort of like entrapment connotations to it. Um, and that's not really what I mean by it so much as, you know, I do need my students to be individually responsible for mastering some content. And I teach over 100 students in that prep. And so like a test allows me (laughs) to get some sense of whether they individually understand it without turning it into some, Like, any alternatives I can think of, logistically, I just couldn't manage.
0: Yeah. There's a practicality component. Uh, I also think that, you know, the thing that you brought up with your AP students, uh, I've been, the phrase I've been turning over in my head recently is, um, I haven't done, I haven't done as much quizzing as I used to do. Like, I used to do a lot more check-ins, like lower stakes quizzes and stuff like that. And to me, the quizzes were like nothing. But for some students, the quizzes... They they would get a little tense about them. They'd worry about them. Some students wouldn't. It, their reaction was different. But what I did find is that by not having any of them, um, there's fewer times where I raise their blood pressure a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like it's focus their attention a little bit. And I think there is a value to having that. And I I think we talk a lot in the education space about test anxiety and some of the negative like emotions that come around with the Sort of intellectual like rigor and some of the negative like feelings that students have about that that testing but i also think that there's a lot of students who there's good value to them feeling that pressure to perform and as long as the stakes match like the stakes and the impacts on their final grade are not disproportionate, there's value to raising their blood pressure and making them, you know, try something hard and give it that effort in a little bit of an island setting. (laughs) Where they can't rely on team members. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I like that phrase of like making them try something hard. Um, I mean, I do have students who will occasionally just opt out of test problems or questions um, Mm -hmm. in all my classes, but generally they will at least try it. Right. And they'd be less likely to try it Certainly my younger students, right? When we do um, application things in class or when they're, you know, I give them a tough sort of novel problem to work through as a pair, or as a team during class time, you know, they're much more likely to sort of read it and then just sort of wait for me to come around and, you know, give them some one-on-one like prodding. Uh, whereas it's if it's a test, they will at least attempt it on their own, usually. uh um, Yeah. Not always, but but often, generally, most of them, most of the time, will will are more likely to try to start it on their own if it's if they see it on a test than if it's just a like this is a you know practice or this is classwork or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then I think that the the downside and the what I'm hearing sort of tonally from you makes me think of the way I feel that like how much should this be? How do you value these assessments and like how do you balance like the fact that you want there to be a little bit of like stress and, you know, maybe accountability is a flawed word, but accountability. But if you remove all of that accountability and you remove all that stress, are they going to take the work seriously? And the answer is some students absolutely will, but are you hurting students that may be a little less mature by not raising the stakes every once in a while?
3: Yeah. And I think too, um I, I understand that this particular reason is like intellectually flawed, but it is true that we are living and working in a system where tests are going to be opportunities for these students. Mm -hmm. Um, And that shouldn't be true, but it is. And so I'm not necessarily sure that I'm doing them any favors if I never gave tests in my classroom. Um, You know, and like, I understand that they are not college students yet, and I understand that some of them are, you know, not going to follow a traditional college path, Um, but they're going to encounter some high-stakes performance, you know, expectations at some point in their professional and academic lives, and, um, you know, I think they need to experience some of that.
0: Next, I spoke with Desi Debova from Franklin High School in Somerset, New Jersey. What is the value of tests in a biology classroom or in a science classroom and like how important are they in the learning process?
4: You really are asking loaded questions. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I'm and I'll I'll say it again, I and I I've told people I'm talking to, <laughs> these are these are the things I struggle with. Um because these are the points where I get uncomfortable in the learning cycle so i'm asking my colleagues about these uncomfortable things that i feel um and i'm burdening you with the same (laughs) the same issues i have (laughs) or giving you a chance to unburden yourself maybe
4: (laughs) i actually have a um a very positive view on tests unfortunately i'm not sure i always implement my vision on tests Um, truthfully in my classroom. So for me, tests are, um, I don't like to call them tests. (laughs) They're assessments. Um, They're a measure of student growth. And they are primarily for me, it's like I would say if I have to like um, rank things, to me, an assessment is a learning tool first and an evaluation tool second. Uh, although I think you can't separate it to kids and teachers have to learn from tests more than, so I don't like the term summative formative assessment to me, there are no truths. Every assessment has to be a formative assessment. So it has to inform you about something and you have to be able to use it to learn from it.
2: Hmm.
4: I try to model this in my classroom. It doesn't always work. Unfortunately. So that is something that I am somewhat struggling with, especially this year, because I have a student population that is very much focused on uh, more on grades rather than learning. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was the biggest issue. Are grades a measure of learning? Are grades a measure of growth? Yeah. And the way we have our current grading system, they're not
0: so all right, I mean you that there's a that's a big question that you just threw out there cuz I our statement you just threw out there because I think that that is a probably the biggest issue I have with my students is students that and I, I don't want to say that all my students, but I have a definitely have a population of students that are much more focused on the grade than on the learning. So uh, how does how is how how where is you where are you on your thinking about helping students focus on the learning as opposed to focusing on the number or the grade?
4: I haven't made any progress this is my one of my biggest struggles, and I don't want to point fingers, but I think our grading system is faulty mm-hmm. It's not the student's fault it's the whole system uh although <laughs> I don't wanna say it's not the student's fault. I mean, um, it does have a change it does take a change in in, in in thinking in a student. But the truth is the system encourages the grading system and the whole system, like how colleges look at GPAs and, and standardized tests, encourages um an obsession with, with grades mm-hmm. rather than learning. Um and I have been struggling with this and I haven't been very successful. So the students that um have always been very focused on grades. I don't think I have made one bit of a difference, unfortunately, in trying to change their, their thinking. Um,
0: Well, I mean, I understand that and I, I have felt that way with some of my students, but one thing I would say is that their, their path as a learner is going to extend long after they leave your classroom. So you may just be planting initial seeds that (laughs) you, you don't get to see grow. Um, So, probably, probably. and so I think that if the focus is on learning in the classroom and you're constantly refocusing and refocusing, you may not reap the rewards of that. (laughs) Um, And I know that from some of my students, I've definitely had students who I had in front of me who I felt they were much more about the grade and, you know, not enough of them, but (laughs) some of them years later would come back and I would, I would hear things that suggested growth in that area.
4: I sure hope so, because um, to me, tests are feedback. Mm. They are feedback for the teacher. They are feedback for the learner. And we should be able to use them more as a learning tool and less as a, what's the word I want to use? Judgment. Yeah. I'm going to use the fresh word.
0: Well, I mean, they, they, they allow us to rank and sort students if we just like assign yes. a number to a kid. Um, and I don't, that is, that is not why you're giving tests. You you don't care about ranking and sorting.
4: (laughs) I I recently experimented with something where, um, I gave them on purpose, a quiz with a very, very short time. And I gave them two, not really a grade, but two pieces of feedback. One was like how many questions they attempted and how many of the attempted they got correctly. Um, and I help them like look at both metrics, just as feedback, not as a grade. So I'm constantly trying new things. <laughs> I don't know if they're working, honestly.
0: <laughs> That's intriguing. Uh,
4: but I'm trying. I'm not giving up. <laughs> no, I'm trying yeah. to show them that you know learning and growth is more important than than the actual grade.
0: So, in terms of something that is in within the locus of your control, what's an example of? Feedback that you've received from assessments that has then impacted what you've done moving forward
4: feedback that I have received from assessments yeah,
0: because well you said um, I mean you said that this the the assessments or the tests are are feedback for both you and the students. So I'm sure you're looking at that feedback and then making some decisions based off of that
4: so recently that was that was a lot of work though. My students had to write uh, just the conclusion of a lab. And I sat down and I compiled a document with most common mistakes, misconceptions. I went through 80 lab reports. (laughs) That was a lot of work. And then based on that compilation, I came up with a few other activities to help them overcome these. So I went um over I shared that document with my students and then we practiced again doing this doing that because um, there were a few areas in their lab reports that I felt the were not the majority but not I wouldn't I shouldn't say majority but a lot of students had problems with so I basically came up with a class activity where the students would engage in these activities and those that had already mastered them I had something different for them to yeah. do because I didn't want them to do you know something that I had already mastered unfortunately time is an issue I don't always have the time to do this because it takes a lot of a lot of time and effort and also in an ideal world I would differentiate perfectly but in a non ideal world, when we start September 20th and the exam is May 13th, yeah. there's limited opportunities to do activities like this mm. without falling significantly behind.
0: Yeah. Well, in September 20th, it was an outlier this year, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs>
4: <laughs> hopefully, no, it's not going to happen next yeah. year. And, um, The other thing I I do with my students, and they're still resisting me, is that I print their answer sheets without marking which one's correct, which one's not (laughs) correct. Um, And I pair them by, uh, I don't want to say ability, but I pair them by uh, score. And then they're supposed, I ask them to compare their answers and mark the ones where they have different answers. And then each one of them have to defend their answer. And come to a consensus. And they fight me because they say, but we don't know what we got wrong. And what if we agree on a wrong answer? And I said, you know, we'll get to that later. But first, I want you to start arguing your answers. Why did you choose this answer? Why did you choose that answer? As opposed to, why is this answer wrong and why is this answer correct? Which is the traditional way to do test corrections.
0: Yeah. Uh, You just described the, when you first said it, I was like, oh, that's what I do. And then as you described it, I was like, oh no, that's not what I do at all. Um, uh, Because I don't do the, I do mark the wrong answers. And then usually I let the students get together and they discuss them like the right or wrong answers. But what you're saying is like, you will.
4: They don't know know which one's right and which one's (laughs) wrong. In the beginning, I tell them later, but in the beginning, they just discuss differences in opinions, essentially.
0: That's an interesting experiment. I might have to try that.
4: Uh, I, I got this idea from NABT a year ago, oh. and I implemented it. So because it was like not this past November, the November before, I implemented it right away because I liked it, and I think it's really has worked really well for my classes.
0: I think that would be hard for me to do with my open response questions. Um,
4: no, it just it just works for the multiple yeah, choice. Okay, um, it just for the multiple choice. Questions. Yeah, i
0: could i could do that pretty easily yeah. with my multiple choice um no so do you let them change their answer when you do that or do you still record their first one
4: um what do you mean let them change their answer so you like we don't
0: so, yeah sorry. no so you 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 give you give them the test and then i would assume that the next day you pair them up and then you ask them to like go through the questions again and see where they are but like let's say i'm having a discussion and i realize oh i wrote a on this but really uh, this discussion makes me realize that it's b from this discussion could i then change my answer from a to b and then that's going to be my score or is that first answer that they give going to be <laughs> the one that goes into the grade book
4: okay in an ideal world yes i would do it but i have been <laughs> sanctioned both at the college level and at the high school level for doing things like oh, this wow so I'm not I'm not allowed I'm not allowed to do it, but I make up by basically scaling or curving or whatever you want to call their scores.
0: Okay.
4: I'm not allowed to give them test correction. It's just That's interesting. I have to work within the system. I have to work within the system. But you can always find ways to reward learning. Hmm. So um basically I tell them that they have to do this exercise if they want me to. Um not putting their raw scores in the grade book. <laughs> that's a condition. If they don't do it, they get their raw score. If they do it, I do the curving, scaling, whatever you want to call it.
0: I, I love the framing. That's very clever. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's not technically curving, so but they all say, Oh are you gonna curve it? I'm like, it's not curving. But yeah. okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> I mean that's the, basically it sounds like you are not allowed to do a you know a standards-based grade system at all? Um, no, yeah, if, if no. they were to, to reassess that, so yeah, I can see that that's limiting. But um, as you said, you c- there's always way to ways to reward.
2: Yeah, reward reward
0: learning growth. and growth. Yeah. Next up, I speak with Ryan Reardon. Ryan teaches at Jefferson County International Baccalaureate High School in Irondale, Alabama what is the role of, of tests in, in helping kids learn? Like you, you already kind of answered this earlier in a different question, but like, why do we give tests? What are the point of tests to, to helping students with their learning?
5: I think it's, it's, it's bimodal, man. One, motivate the kids to study. Give them a reason to study and they will. In in my situation, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got great kids. They, they're, they're high functioning. They love to perform. They are great conscious. They are, rank conscious not but it's not detrimental right so they'll study for a test because they they kind of want to prove to themselves that they're they know their stuff Mm -hmm. uh and that's you know that's a whole nother kettle of fish (laughs) but that's important the kid cares you know my kid my eighth grader down the hall right now he cares about tests he may hate history which is unfortunate but he cares about his grades so he'll study yeah. My kids care. And and for me, as an instructor, when you're kind of... So I said bimodal. It's actually trimodal. One, motivate kids. Two, see what the kids know. What do they know? What do they not know? Where are the ups? Does the kid who's like super engaged in class have the ability to articulate what they know when they're on an island, which is that summative assessment? Mm-hmm. If they blow it, you can... Usually it's having a conversation on Moss. It's like you guys blew this. We talked about it, you studied it, or you, you we were in class working this model together, but you never took the time to actually dive in and figure it out. And I'll tell my kids you blew it. That's and that's not necessarily on me. What I'm telling my guys and it's something I came up with when I was an undergrad, is that I always knew I was ready for a test when all the ideas I had about a particular course, whether it was a science class or a religious studies class or history class, like everything was organized, like I couldn't study anymore. I could basically access a piece of information, pull it down, and use it to solve the problem that was given to me. What I'm seeing with a lot of my kids is that what they, you know, they know stuff, but it's all cluttered. Mm -hmm. so tests help me see which kids have taken the time to sort these ideas out and which kids you know know some stuff but it's all jumbled together because they haven't spent the time to uh to work and then the the third piece uh i said it was bimodal
0: and then you turned to trimodal
5: (laughs) yeah so they get feedback on what they know i get a lot of feedback on what they what what uh they know and don't know and what was effective and what wasn't effective. And then uh, that's it. I'll leave those as the two modes. You know, the grades are kind of meaningless to me. It just prepares. And then again, I would say this, it prepares them. The third, the third mode might be preparing them for, for May. Yeah. And again, I would live in that AP world. Hopefully you'll get some voices that don't live in that AP world, but uh, there's stuff they need to know. Mm. Right. If you, I don't know, Aaron. I mean, it's such a great question. I can remember my first interview for a science teacher job, the one I didn't get, you know, back when I was just coming out of grad school and was just adjuncting. They asked me about assessment. I said, it's hard. I don't get it. It's, it's the hardest piece for me. It is the hardest piece. Yep. What's it for? Motivation, feedback, information. Uh, what else, you know? Yeah. The, you know, uh, away from grades, it's it's so I cannot. I hope you get six or seven other voices that can tell you why they test. Yep. I test to motivate my kids and find out what they know and don't know. And then oh, I remember the third thing: challenge them, push them, make them apply. My best kids, the ones that are like at Harvard Med School now, or in, you know, I got a couple that are at residence at, at uh,
0: Mass, Mass General. Yeah,
5: yeah, they're freaking studs. And I taught these kids when I was at the uh, magnet school for STEM. Those kids loved being challenged on tests. I would just push them with the toughest questions and make them think. A good test bro, will make a kid think. And that's, that's, that's one of the reasons I test and see what they know. It's you know, when I was an undergrad, I remember loving tests because A, I didn't have to listen to anybody tell me something, and B I could show off. <laughs> and ideally, you, you could, you'd get hit with a problem you never thought about before. What do you test?
0: Uh, I mean, it's that's that's part of the reason I'm asking this question. I mean, the fact is, is that I, I, I'm a little dissatisfied with it because I do definitely look at it as a lens for myself to find out what do the kids know and how inf- effective was my instruction um, in that idea, and also to give the students a little feedback about how effectively are they approaching the work. Um, it's mm-hmm. and it's different. I mean, it's different. The younger kids, it's literally a the the type of information is much more formative because they're younger um because they don't know how to study they don't know how to incorporate challenging materials how to layer skills onto content so it's a very different it's a very different lens and then the older kids it is very much helping them get ready for may um yeah and and it is a blend of challenge but i would say my assessments right now i i take them I take their grades harder than they take their grades because I view yeah. it as a lens of my own, yeah. my own skill as an instructor. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know I have if I have a satisfactory answer to this question, which is why it's one of the three questions I keep asking all the people who are, you know, all the, all these smart people from all over the country who seem to know a heck of a lot more than I do. Um, they, they're helping me, uh, polish my own ideas. So Next conversation is with Kelly Cluthy. Kelly teaches at Aletha West High School in Aletha, Kansas. So, what are the value? What's the value of tests to you in learning?
6: Um, so that's a big question. <laughs> I know.
0: I was, um, <laughs> I was I was kind of looking forward to this one for you.
6: <laughs> so, I'm at a PBL school. Yep. And there's a big push to not just assess based on tests, but to also assess based on other types of big projects. But we do live in an academic world where the students are judged on how they perform on tests, Mm -hmm. whether it's like the ACT or once they get to college, a lot of their classes are just, you know, test based, which that's a whole separate issue. I don't know if I agree with that or not. Well, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) um, I still give tests. um, So if we do like a PBL unit, I will assess them on both, whatever their product is. And then I'll also give an individual assessment as well. Um, So I try to think of the PBL product as more of soft skills and assessing students on uh, inquiry or science and engineering practices and just collaborative um, aspects that they need to c- complete a project like that. And then I look at the test as more, how do they understand the content?
0: Mm-hmm. So yes,
6: even though I'm at a P- PL school, tests are still a big part of what I do and they don't go away, but I think they just fill a different like niche for me compared to more traditional schools.
0: Yeah. So that's interesting. Cause I, I usually think of like project-based learning as something that would ha- be assessing both Content and skills, but you're saying that uh-huh. because of the nature of the fact that they are going to take a test, whether it's an AP test in an AP class or, uh-huh. um, or you know the the state tests, which um, I think you you've told me that ACTs can fill that um, uh-huh. niche in your school, or that you you do have a state test, although I don't really understand. <laughs> Are you get exemption? We do have a
6: state test. Yeah. My my previous school was exempted. Yeah. Um, so the students took the ACT rather than the state exam. Mm-hmm. Um but my current school, we still do the state testing.
0: So so you have these. Um so I guess the what I'm hearing from you is you're mirroring a little bit um I'm assuming your state test is fairly content based then. Um
6: Yes, it is.
0: So you're you're parsing those two pieces out to prep them for the real world of this mm-hmm. this test that they have to take at the end of the year. So you're giving them that exposure. But um, I know your projects have to, you know, your projects do have content components to it. And I also know right. that you have um, dipped your toe in, and I'm not sure how deep you are in standards-based grades currently, or if you've sort of semi-abandoned that in your new school. Um, are you still in a standards-based grade mode for your grading system?
6: Um, I would say it's... Kind of a alternative standards-based grade. I don't know the best way to explain it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I do like a four-point scale, yeah. and students are only assessed using like their test scores or their PBL products or a couple labs that they'll pull here and there. And then everything else, I just is practice. I'm not assessing each stu- like standard individually as a traditional standards-based grade system. Okay. Uh, just because I feel like. I hit on those standards so many times throughout the year and we cycle back between different standards that if I assess it once in October, it'll probably pop up again in the spring. So do I assess them twice or do I just uh, assess it once? I don't know. It's just hard for me to set up and find a way for it to make sense to me. Um, Mm -hmm. So I assess just uh, kind of each unit on its own.
0: Yeah. So you're I mean, all of your curriculum design is based off of, of standards like you have right. you know, missions and goals that you have for each you know, project based uh, you know, assessment that you're leading into each unit uh-huh. has certain content standards. And so you just look at them holistically and assess those individually with the understanding that you have sort of this jigsaw of standards that you're weaving through throughout the year. Um, so by holistically assessing them they're going to meet all of these various standards throughout the year. Yep. It's going to come out in the wash, so to speak. Yep. <laughs> so, so in terms of the tests, like um the, you know, so a kid comes in, um I didn't uh, maybe I studied, I like I defied my teacher and did homework and I studied. Um so <laughs> <laughs> I come in and I've studied for this test and I I uh I take this test and at the end of it I haven't like, I really struggled on this section or that section. What, what do I get back from you after I've, what, maybe what does my test look like in your class? And I realize it'll be different on different levels, but generally speaking, what do the tests look like? And then what kind of feedback do I get? And then what do we do with it after
2: that point?
6: Okay. So like in my AP level class, I try to model it off of the AP exam. So it's roughly half multiple choice, half free response questions. Um, for mm-hmm. my freshmen, since I'm using Jason Crane's uh storylines, I use the assessments that he came up with for the units, too, which are very um, database. So th- none of it's multiple choice. It's like students analyzing yeah. graphics and um, things like that. Um, yeah,
0: they're mostly kind of short answer-y-ish. Yeah. They're not yeah. really long free response questions. There's some that you might call short free response questions, but lots of short answer type right. questions.
6: Um, so what I usually do on that is I like, I circle things that I have questions about, or I don't feel like they nailed completely. And then I grade more traditionally in my AP level classes um, since it is more like multiple choice and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of it, students can do test corrections. They can get full points back for it. Um and I've done test corrections in a couple different ways where we might have like a workshopping day in class where students could work in small groups to correct their tests. Um, a lot of times I have students do a big reflective component though. So they have to write me a letter explaining why they didn't perform well the first time around, what they can do about it in the future. They have to explain where they got their um, correct answers from once they do the test corrections. Um, so I do make them work for those points. I try to do it in a way that forces them to be reflective about it. Mm-hmm. So they don't. <laughs> and a lot of students have found that uh, my reflections are time consuming. And yeah. uh, it's easier to just study for the test the first time around than it is to just walk in, bomb it, and then go back and try to do all the corrections for it.
4: Yeah.
0: I just i I was chuckling when you say the word points because I kind of feel like I feel like in conversation the points sometimes comes across when you say them like an expletive like points yeah like yeah. I, I know that yeah. it's it's partly a like this is like the the ultimate compromise for you that students are like getting points back on something when you're more learning focused than point focused, but the reality <laughs> is the kids are focused on the points
6: they are so trained to just collect as many points as possible throughout Uh, the year
0: the video game of school um (laughs) yeah so i i know that just from having past conversations that's that's the headspace that you're in so like Every time you use the <laughs> word points, I realize I, like, you could you, yes, just replace a narrative curse word in there for you because it's not It's not the goal. <laughs> the goal is for them to reflect on learning. I like the idea of asking them where they got their answers from. Uh, I think that's uh-huh. uh, that's an interesting, because I do test corrections, but I, my test corrections are very limited. They earn a few small, like basically it's a a reflection tool to get them to go back and look over their work. Um, And Uh for engaging in that practice of reflecting on the things they got wrong, they earn a few points back, but it's not, they don't earn full points back. Um, It's not nearly as onerous, but it's also not nearly as valuable. Like they don't get, Uh you know, so if you, if you fail one of my tests you're not going to do test corrections. I mean, unless you get like a 59, but like, if you get a 59 on the test, you could get yourself up to a D like, like that kind of deal. Like it's a, it's a small uh, point recovery. Um, It's usually enough to change from like, like if you had like a C plus, you can move yourself up to a B minus or possibly, Uh possibly a B, but usually it's like, it's a basically a a half grade kind of shift. That allows them yeah. to do, and that for my students is adequate incentive. Uh, but it is something that when you go back, we talked about the sort of maturity of students. students who are more mature, it the like the points are less relevant to them. Like Mm -hmm. the learning is more important. So like when my AP students do the test corrections, they're like totally on it. And they're like, Mm -hmm. they they really understand that there's a test at the end of the year and they're going to need to know these standards and they need to perform well in that test. So they're super engaged. And my younger students, it's a range of maturity. I have some students who are super engaged from a learning perspective, but there's others who it's just that point collection mode that they're in. Yeah. So.
6: Yeah. I see the same thing. Yeah.
0: And then, you know, it's funny. It's like, we, you know, we talk about the school year and we're sort of a little past the mid-year point. Um, I, now I'm having, like, recently I've had rounds of students coming for extra help who, like, they have gotten to this point where they've struggled at various points through the first half of the year. And now they're like okay, I really figured out that I don't know what I'm doing when I study. I don't know how to approach these types of test questions. They've now gathered enough information that they're willing to come and ask for help, um, uh-huh. <laughs> especially with my younger students. But I like I sort of get waves of students who come for extra help. Like I get a wave after the first test and a wave after the second test. Like Those are sort of my first two waves. And then I get like very few questions about extra help until right after the mid-year point. And then all of a sudden I get this second, second wave of kids who come in and like i'm now in that month of you know now that we're in the winter i'm getting like i have a month month and a half where all of a sudden kids are like they've gathered all this information about how they've approached the course and they realize Uh they're missing something and now they get that extra piece so um it's funny to hear your reflections about like kids coming and kids motivations and that sort of thing. Cause I see the same thing in my students, um, but there is a turning point where they move from points to learning. And that's a very, yeah. that's a very rewarding point of the year.
6: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I actually ended up giving my freshmen their final a week before actual assigned finals week. And then we used our assigned finals day for in-class test corrections. And we did it like as a workshop where students were discussing the test in small groups and trying to help each other correct it. And just listening to those conversations was awesome. Like no one brought up points or anything like that. They were discussing the material, they were working together. And I think it was like the best, biology conversations i'd heard from them all year long it was just like magic
0: yeah and i i like literally uh you know just last friday my students were doing test corrections in my honors class and you get that you you when you give them the opportunity and especially now you know they've been through part of the year i think that they the conversations about learning that's the reason i keep doing it because even though i do have some students in that class that are like point focused Mm-hmm. The discussions that they're having about the individual questions are not, what did you get for 37B? Okay, 37B, got it done. Because my my yeah. reflection sheet asks them why the question, why the answer is right. And so they're asking their peers and they're using language and every once in a while they get to a point where they don't agree. And so I'm, uh-huh. I'm rotating through the room while they're doing that, and then I'm engaging them with other examples or other questions, or they're asking follow-up questions to help them with their thinking. And this is true of both multiple choice and open response questions. Yep. Um, and so you're right. The There are moments where if you structure the reflection the right way, you can get some really good learning, even if you're doing tests and they're getting points over them. Yep. <laughs> Next up is my conversation with John Darko. John teaches at Seneca East High School in Attica, Ohio. What is the value of tests? What what should we be looking to have students do by testing them and and should we really be testing them? What's the value of tests in the science classroom?
7: Uh, I guess for me it's largely a a system of feedback. So you have sp- you have a goal in mind of what you would like students to accomplish or students have uh serendipi- serendipitously accomplished things in your mm-hmm. classroom. And then let's check that against some kind of uh, assessment to see if what you wanted them to understand is matching with what they actually did understand. And there's, mm-hmm. That, you know, that's like uh hypothesis testing, right? So yeah. <laughs> uh you you have to have well constructed test, and this is really hard to do, uh to have a test that is matching up with, with the goals that you have in mind. And every time I give a test, I'm always like, oh my gosh. Uh I asked them questions that I I didn't teach at all sometimes and I uh, sometimes it's too easy so I wasn't getting the questions weren't fitting ex- uh some of the stuff that we I felt like we focused on uh but so I see test as just feedback for for the student to know if if they learned the thing that you wanted them to learn and you're going to have you know this goes back also to I think the whole idea of points uh and and (laughs) grades too uh so where does that fit in but I think just if you're looking at assessments all by itself uh, I think the main point is for me is feedback
0: Hmm. I think it would be a really interesting thing if I ever asked this question to somebody, and they didn't. If they're because we're in the teaching world, everybody brings up the word assessment, um, which I specifically questioned around tests uh-huh. because I think that we have started in our language, you know, myself included, to move to talking about like assessments as be- being formative and then summative. And to me, the tests end up being sort of on that summative end, which I I think sort of matches what most people do but what, what's the process in terms of feedback? So I'm a kid and I'm taking a class and I'm plugging along and I'm doing the practice and I take this test and I, I don't meet the standard. Like I, I show, I reveal that, um, that there's still a lot of this, this stuff that we were talking about that I didn't master these skills. I don't really have an understanding of these underlying concepts. Do you build in opportunities for students to, how do you build the opportunities for students to You know, reflect and gain some of that understanding before moving forward, or is that a case where it's on a a student responsibility level that they have to take that upon themselves?
7: Yeah, I I think reflection after a test is is a great idea. Uh, This is not something that I'm necessarily really good at, but I I like the idea of uh, the monthly test I'm trying to think um i I think this might be something that I took from David Konufke of giving a or uh I think Chris Mansoor does this where mm-hmm. gives a monthly test, and wherever you are in the curriculum, that's where you give the test, and then a certain percentage of that is cumulative, so Once you give the test, then the students can see how they did. Uh, I've done test corrections before. I have moved away from it a little bit this year just because I had few students actually engaging in it in previous years. But I think getting... If you have a good structure, I I would like to know. But I I, I think getting... (laughs) the students to reflect back on it is, is certainly important.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I have, I am currently engaged in a, I am using a test corrections process right now, a imperfect test corrections format. I actually think my, my, the majority of my AP students and I, similarly we've moved this year to a sort of monthly testing model where we tell them it they are cumulative exams that everything we have covered to this point in AP is fair game on these tests so we could pull in any old concepts um it usually reflects a majority of the concepts we've discussed more recently but you, they can go back you know at this point to the beginning of the year on concepts um but what you said about test corrections and reflection is really hard because you need to figure out what reflection is what reflection practice is meaningful for the types of kids you have in front of you and every population of students is different. Um, So that's hard. Yeah.
7: And just for me personally, like let's take AP biology, for example. Um, I give my summative test, are AP questions from uh, the secure exams that I've copied and pasted and put together and into a test. So Mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to send those home with the kids. And that I don't like that system at all. Uh, I like the idea that I'm giving them actual questions from the AP. So they get to, they get that experience, but the trade-off is then they don't get the test to go home with. So Mm-hmm. I I I like the idea of me coming up with my own questions. I'm just that that's a ton of work. Uh, and it is. Yeah. I I don't make the time for that work. Uh, so I have misgivings about using the secure questions. If you don't use the secure questions, you let kids take the questions home, then. Then it seems like they're it's easier to cheat and and copy, uh, mm-hmm. so I, I I feel like I'm in a rock and a hard place.
0: Yeah, for me the the answer is that I I only let them use the test corrections that are a process that they engage in in the room, mm-hmm. um, so that the questions do not right. leave the room, um, but I have them engage and have peer dialogue with one another in the classroom itself and they're looking at the the specifically the essential knowledge questions um and the learning objectives that were related to it and then they're trying to make those connections and they're evaluating the questions they got wrong but you're right they have it has to be something that has happens in the room not at home which means that you have to make a sacrifice of class time um which is precious um so (laughs) uh So, and actually at the moment, I feel like for my AP students, I'm getting the most value for them. Whereas with my younger students who are a little less mature, I use a very similar system with them. But I I think that the system that I'm currently using requires a high degree, degree of maturity on the student's behalf. And, um, I don't think all my students are there and I don't think it'd be fair to say that, you know, this, the 14 and 15 year olds should be as mature as the, you know, 17 and 18 year olds. I, I think that's an unfair standard. Uh, but the system works really well with my APs and works okay with my younger students. Um, but when I've tried it in different populations, it's the system I have does not, does not translate. They don't engage in that reflective practice that they want. So, um, It is a problem. Uh, My question is, is like, what's your solution? Your dilemma comes up with a lot of the issues involved. But, um, you know, should there be opportunities for students to take like another exam that challenges them on those same learning objectives and essential knowledge points down the road to demonstrate that? does that have to, does that only come through other tests or should we be providing other opportunities for students to do that? Um, and I have no answers to those questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know,
7: I think that's, that. Uh, I think that would be an excellent way to teach of having, you know, uh, one student does not so well on a test and then they're given uh, support to look up the the materials, relearn aspects, and then retest. I I don't see anything wrong with that. Uh, The logistics are challenging. I don't think they're impossible. But uh, right now, that's not something that is happening in my own classroom. Yeah,
0: it's not happening in my classroom either. So um, I say that with with no... uh, (laughs) you know, not as a criticism, but as a, like an internal reflection from this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know that, I don't know that we have the answers to that, but this is also that balance of sort of, uh, pacing in the issue. Like if we really were doing this, like where the goal was really master these learning objectives, you know, piece by piece by piece, getting to having everybody be exposed to all the concepts from the curriculum, um, may not actually happen and then you have a dilemma for the students who are ready to do that how do you equitably do that for the the variety of kids that you have in front of you that's a, i think that that's the push and pull that we have to deal with with the variety of kids in front of us
7: yeah and really i think the the summative test can can be practice for let's say the uh large assessment like the AP exam or some kind of uh end of year test for 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 biology whereas i feel like a lot of where my students assessment feedback learning loop comes from are frequent quizzes because mm-hmm. i feel like with the frequent quizzes i do a much better job i give them you know a short number of questions they get to keep these quizzes. Uh, then I get to go over the correct answers with with the students. So there's this much tighter cycle of uh, assess- assessment and feedback. And then they can like they can retake quizzes also. So mm-hmm. where tests, it's, it's just it's such a time sucker that it. <laughs> I I just don't fit the time into my classroom.
0: Yeah, but you do fit that formative cycle in. Right. So that hopefully that if students are engaged in that practice, by the time they get to the summative, it is a it is an opportunity to see a cumulative um impact of the learning. So Yes. Yeah. So you do have it built in. Um and I would say you have it built in better than me. It's I was reflecting earlier this year because we have a lot of different rules for assessment, like we have assessment-free weekends, like we can't assess on like a Tuesday after a long weekend. And we have like an assessment policy where students can request not, they, they, they have a rule of the number of assessments they can have in a day. And if they have more than that number, they can request through their dean to move assessments and stuff like wow. that. And it's, it, it's a system where I understand where it comes from and there's a lot of moving pieces that go on. But what it does is it, it, it dis, has disincentivized me from quizzing. Right. Because if I want to quiz in a formative way, um, unless I do unannounced quizzes, which you know, may be the direction I end up going next year, <laughs> I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to tell them um, because the unannounced quizzes can't be scheduled and they don't fit in. And so it's just like, a, do you know this? Do you not? And then we just throw those in. And if you do enough of them and you keep them low stakes enough, then that I could be formative and to fit in, um, or you don't grade them and you just give, use them as feedback. Um, but I, I haven't really solved this balance of not over oh not over assessing and not overburdening my students with the feeling like they're constantly prepping for assessments, um, which is what's sort of been happening in our school and giving them more regular feedback.
7: Yeah. Th- this past <laughs> Friday, I gave two quizzes, one in AP biology and one in regular biology. Both were unannounced. Uh, mm-hmm. My biology was just five questions and we had gone over the material gave the quiz and then in ap biology i do group quizzes where they work in groups and if they get the question wrong the first time they get to try and try again until they come up with the right answer (laughs) and i always build in uh freebies so if they miss one uh they can still get a hundred percent try to take some of that i think what you said with the the low low stakes is is key mm-hmm. to giving unannounced quizzes because as a as a teacher you know you are sympathetic with the students, you want them to study and prepare, but at the same time, I think if you just give it unannounced, uh, you take the anticipation stress away from them, <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's like just giving someone a shot in the arm uh, without them even knowing it. Um, And then if it's, if the number of points or whatever is, is low stakes, then it's not as bad. You don't feel as bad giving it Mm. to them.
0: And I'm going to wrap up this episode with the thoughts from Paul Strode. Paul is a teacher at Fairview High School in Boulder, Colorado. What are the values of, of of tests? Like how do tests fit into, um, your classroom and what are the values of tests? Oh, I think they have huge
2: value. Um, I think that, uh, so, so I gave an assessment just, just yesterday to my, my, uh, pre-IB bio students, my, my freshmen, sophomores in bio one. And, and, um, and every, every time, I give them an assessment. I ask them as I'm passing out the test, actually, before I pass out the test, I say, no, what, why are we doing this? What, what is this? What's the purpose of doing this? And and I've I, over the, over the year, I have tried to get them to understand that this assessment is for them. It, the, the most important, um, oh, uh, the not client, what, where am I thinking of I guess the most important user is the student <laughs> and and so so this is an opportunity for them to to get feedback for themselves on where they are in their understanding of the of the material um, but it's also an opportunity for me to to get a sense of where they are as a group to where they are individually, so that I can make adjustments in my own practice and And you know, come to the aid of certain students, um, make some changes for the next year, um, maybe have a, a a little review the next day. Um, and so uh, so uh, assessments are 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 hugely important um, for both the student and the teacher. but I think I think what where, where a lot of teachers um, misuse assessments is they, they use the assessments only for themselves. Um, and they, you know, they generate a number and they put the number in the grade book and then the the student sees the number and tries to interpret that number to mean something about what they know. And, uh, and there's just not much meaning there in that single number.
0: Yeah. And, and the interpretation by the student of that number, um, it could mean very different things, different, Uh different kids, like, it it's and what i see in a lot of my students particularly my my more high performing students is it's a it's a value like i am good at this i am not good at this it is not a it is not a reflection of learning it's part of that ranking and sorting and so that they're using it to ascribe identity right. as a as opposed to the learning process that they're right. working on
2: and and they look at that number and they say, and they, they think I was good at this unit, but but what were they actually good at, and what what was still a struggle for them, even though they might have gotten a 93 percent, there's still probably some things that weren't that that they could work on, but yet they probably don't even pay attention to what it was that they still struggle on. They just look at the number, and if it's good enough, they move on.
0: Yeah. So we, we've mentioned that you, you have a a pointless class Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) as you like to say Uh, the, so, so you definitely have this, this feedback and iterative process. So let's walk through it. Um, I'm a student in the class. I go in, I take a test. um, I hand it in the next day I am, I'm assuming I'm not going to, or a day or two later, when we get this back, this feedback back, I am not going to be given a piece of paper that says like, good job, B plus, you know, 88% on it. No. What am I going to get back? And then what am I going to do with this, this, the stuff I get back?
2: Sure. So, so first of all, all of my tests are free response. Okay. And, um, and so, so all responses are written responses and, and, Yeah. Written as in sort of sentence form, um, descriptions, but also diagrams, graphs, that kind of thing. But the students are creating the, the, the creating most of the content basically on the exams. And, um, so the, the one that I've been working on this morning, um, has 12 questions it's on, um, the innate and and acquired immune system. And, um, and so I go through and I, 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 I read the, the kids answers and, and if I think that they that they um have a, a solid understanding of of what the question was asking then I give them a check. If I think that they still have some, some work to do, there there might be some missing pieces, some details that they could add, I'll circle the question and then I'll I'll make some comments, give them some some ideas. Um and uh and then I um I give them, and this this is where it becomes kind of um, um, very, I guess, subjective. One could argue, but I I then decide at at what level of completeness they have they have um, they have achieved on this assessment, and so so if I feel like like they are. they're showing a, a solid enough understanding. It's, it's not perfect, but solid enough understanding of, of the material as a whole. Then I give them a complete and, and I put the letter C at the top of their, um, of their exam. And, and it takes them a little while to get used to that. Um,
0: <laughs> I can see, I just have visions of like my AP kids. Uh, okay. I'm getting, <laughs> like, I'm going to see. Yeah. Like freaking out.
2: <laughs> right. So, um, so then you know the next so and those go in the the grade book as hundred um, percent but but what the students and parents understand is that's that's that means that the kid is making fantastic progress um it that it's not perfect and but but it's it's great progress and i'm and i'm I'm pleased um, and the student should be proud um, and then the the next level of completeness is partial and so I'll put the letter p <laughs> at the top and and, uh, oh, and, and students with completes, I don't require them to do revisions, but most of them do anyway, because they want to show me that they, that they've worked again on the material. So next level is partial. And, and that goes in the grade book as a, as a 75% progress. And so those students, I do ask them to do revisions and turn them back into me, um, and, uh, and then the, the next level of completeness if a student has really struggled and, and maybe they, they can't answer more than half of the questions, um, uh, well, then, then they, they come in at rework and it goes in the grade book as a 50%. Um, and then when they, when they do revisions, the, the revisions are worth as much as the, as their solo effort. And, Worth as much as far as weighting goes in their progress in the gradebook, and and so, um, so then then basically the the students can can look at their average progress on each unit, and and think about um, how they're doing in that way.
0: So does that mean if I get a if I have to rework and I come in at a fifty and I rework it and I get to a complete, I would have those two would average out to a 75 or
2: yeah, you're making 75% progress. And so, so that's, it's, I would say it's, it's great that you you did those revisions and yeah, you, you, now you're really showing me, you understand this work. Um, but this is not gonna, this will not lead you to excellence in the class. If you continue every unit to, to go from, rework to complete and rework to complete, um, you're not showing progress. And so, so, so the kids are all are constantly trying to, to, to come in at you know at partial on that that next unit, and the the kids that are that are starting out at partials, they're really trying to start out a complete on the next unit or the unit after that, and, um, and and there's there's there you know there's lots of, uh, when a student gets his his or her first complete, that's it's huge for that for that student, um. And and I can hear it in the class, you know, as I'm passing things back. You know, I got to complete. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and uh, and I I also require the kids at rework to 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 come visit me during our access time and and have a, a short conversation about what you know what something might have, uh, be a real s- simple that went wrong, like like you know, I had a basketball game and I just I, I'm so tired and you know that kind of thing or. Or yeah, I really, I I came into this just really not understanding it, and I, I should have come to you, but I didn't, and also I'll do that next time, mm-hmm. that kind of thing.
0: It's def- it, definitely a very, um, it's it's a it's a system that is so radically different than <laughs> my day to day practice. It's just it's so interest it's so interesting sure. to hear, um, because I try to layer. Every I think you know, every time I talk to somebody who has this type of system, um like then i'm flooded with with thoughts <laughs> because it again it, there's such a disconnect between what i see and how i engage and there's not to suggest that there's not massive commonalities um between the work i'm trying to do and the work that you're doing um i have you know students do test corrections and they're they are doing re, they're reworking their answers to their open response questions and you know like looking yeah. at and I do give multiple choice questions so they're looking at the multiple choice questions they got wrong and they're they're considering them but um it's just so different um so we, i guess
2: yeah. i guess my and question
0: I- for you is that like so you also talk about the feedback to you as a teacher um so for mm-hmm. you is there like a threshold of like when this, when you get this, this, and you get this collection that's in front of you, and you now have these reworks and some some partials and some completes in front of you, you then have to look at that holistically to get a picture of like where your population is and what you need to do to help them maybe go back and grasp some concepts. So, like, is, do you have a formal process in that, or is it still? Would you say it's that subjective thing that you said about where the line is between? different levels
2: well it it, it uh it, it's, it's it'll vary of course um i had i think a, a couple of years ago i had a situation where they the student i think they were my seniors and they just crumbled and and so so it was basically a, a sort of a, a redo <laughs> for everyone just like all right let's start over let's let's here here's here's where the big problems were um and so so that was I had to make some adjustments because I, I had had really not done my job well with them and then ask them questions that they I had not prepared them for. Um, but uh, but most of the time, it's just a handful of students that I need to that I need to to take care of individually. Um, so that that's how I react. Then that's how I use the, the information. So it's
0: that individual differentiation as opposed wow. to, yeah, the sort of the joys of being a veteran teacher. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 you've you've already had the the fall downs in the past, so you're able to like have learned from those experiences and improved your practice through that feedback. And so looking back at it today, you don't have as many of those sort of fall down moments. Sure. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I really had a great time putting it together and I learned so much from my colleagues. I know that personally over the summer, I reflect a lot on my practices, including how I use tests to help my students learn. So hopefully you will find value in these conversations as well. I can't thank my friends enough for joining me and being honest and open and having conversations about their practice. Each one of them has a episode where I talk to just them about their teaching and their experience as an educator. You can go back and listen to those, and I will put links to their original shows back in my show notes. You can get show notes at lifeoftheschool.org. You can also get show notes on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash lots. Patreons also get an early release of episodes a few days in advance. You can follow me on twitter at mr matthew tweets or at life of the school and i'd like to thank jake jenkins next magicians for buying, providing music for this and every episode so thank you for joining me and i'll talk to everybody soon